Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that covers issues related to cars and transport. And welcome back to new programs for 2016. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories including the UK opens a state-of-the-art electric and hybrid vehicle testing facility. We discuss the new Mustang that has been launched onto the Australian market. And we have been to the launch of the new Kia Sportage. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including our usual, unusual look at the Detroit Motor Show. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. To get the program going, let's first have the news. The UK government has officiated at the opening of a new state-of-the-art testing facilities in Milton Keynes that will support the government's pledge for every new car and van to be admission-free by 2040. The new state-of-the-art facility at Intertech's Automotive Engineering Testing Laboratory hosts some of the UK's highest-capacity electric vehicle driveline testing equipment, including high-capacity battery simulators and the latest exhaust emission measurement systems, in order to support the European automotive industry's continued push into driveline electrification. Internet is a company that specialises in testing and certification of products. The UK government's spending review increased funding to £600 million between 2015 and 2020 to support the development, manufacture and uptake of low-emission vehicles. Providing the processing power that is equivalent to 150 MacBook Pros, a new second-generation in-car supercomputer is set to accelerate the development of autonomous vehicles. NVIDIA has launched the Drive PX2, the world's most powerful digital engine for in-vehicle artificial intelligence. Currently, the computer power needed to operate autonomous vehicles can take up the entire boot space of the vehicle, but the new PX2 is about the size of a lunchbox. Volvo will be the first car maker to use the Drive PX2 and will equip a fleet of 100 XC90 SUVs with the technology, which will be used in the world's first public trial of autonomous driving next year. In its DriveMe program, Volvo will lease the PX2-equipped vehicles to consumers, enabling them to drive autonomously around Gutenberg, Sweden, and semi-autonomously elsewhere. Many mature-aged motorists have expressed some scepticism about autonomous vehicles, saying that they still want to control their vehicle. But things can change in a generation. A new study of Europe's Generation Z, those aged 18 to 24, reinforces their desire for self-driving cars and smart digital services such as integrated apps and cashless payment. The survey in 12 cities across the UK, France, Germany and Belgium and the Netherlands revealed that by 2025, 32% of 18 to 24-year-olds expected to be using self-driving cars. 41% said that they will not be using cash to pay for transport 
and 51% believe transport provision will be a key consideration when deciding where to live and work. The findings also revealed that the age group, dubbed the future commuters, are already practising what they preach when it comes to travelling around the city. A new car sharing program, which is free to use for the first two hours, has been launched in California. Costs are covered for the first two hours by advertising. The fleets become mobile billboards. Wave Car has started operations in Santa Monica and Venice Beach. The company's fleet of compact four-door Chevrolet Spark cars are 100% electric and 100% emission-free with a supposed 130km range per charge. Once the user's driving time has been completed, a map will show them where they can drop the car off. Depending on where it is left, users can earn extra rewards. The company also plans to establish valet parking stations throughout the area to make drop-off even easier. Ferrari is considering building more cars each year. In 2014, Ferrari sold 7,255 cars, while in 2015 it is estimated that they would have sold around 7,700. In this way, it maintains an immense aura of exclusivity. Ferrari has been nominated as the strongest company brand name in the world. But there are new financial pressures. In October, the company moved away from the umbrella of the Fiat Chrysler Corporation and floated on the stock exchange. Since floating, the shares have dropped in price, but their profits are still very good. Ferrari has the capacity to build more cars and they are now aiming at 9,000 vehicles a year. They appear to be resisting the temptation, however, to increase their presence by moving into other segments such as SUVs, unlike Lamborghini and Aston Martin. Fiat Chrysler have had some bad press of late about the quality and reliability of their cars and some concerns about safety. So now, for management and perhaps some PR reasons, they have moved one of their employees, Kristen Kreibisch, to a new role of safety advocate responsible for promoting greater awareness of car safety. Fiat has come a distant last in recent J.D. Power reliability surveys in America, and their products, particularly Jeep, have been criticised for their reliability here in Australia. Recently, hackers showed that they could take control of a Jeep vehicle while it was driving down the highway. And in 2014, the US National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said Fiat Chrysler must recall nearly 1.6 million Jeeps after Fiat Chrysler had initially resisted. Mike Dahl, Head of Vehicle Safety and Compliance, said in a statement, Everyone is a safety advocate at Fiat Chrysler because safety considerations are baked into every component of every product we make. And that has been the news. Back in 1964, they launched the first Mustang, and it just boomed in sales. It had a bit of a checkered history after that. It started out as a lithe pony. That's what a Mustang is, of course. A prairie pony, I believe, or horse. And uh, then became a little bit of a fat pig, and then became a little bit of a small joke. 
in a way. It has come back to some degree, looking much meaner, but they've just launched a new model. And who better to talk about it than our good friend Brent Davidson, who has been driving the car. Brent, I'm going to ask about both the looks and the sound. The looks, it really does hark back to the original, doesn't it? David, this is what I love about the Mustang. And by the way, Happy New Year to everybody. I must say that. Oh, <laughs> but um, let's chat about Mustang. Now that we've got that, that little one out of the way. Um, yes, this is what I love about this current Mustang. They have managed to look back over 51 or two years and say... Let us build a Mustang in in the vein of that original car without yeah. actually going to visit any of the cars along the way and saying, oh, let's do a retro version of that. So what yeah. we have is this crisp feel with a, just a bit of comfort in the styling. Yes. And it's certainly aggressive looking, a big, you know, strong nose on it. Uh, the new sort of style of smaller lights down to the side there, the, the obviously the pony there. It's, um, and, of course, it comes both in coupe and convertible. Yeah, coupe, well, fastback. Let's, let's, get the, let's get our terminologies right because the coupe, the original car was the coupe and what we call the notchback, um, if we mm. want to get very, very technical. Um, so, so this is the fastback and the, and the convertible. And the, and the rear tail lights really do throw back to that. They've tried to have a, a hint at them in models past of the three uh, vertical sorts of bands of the of the tail light, but I think this one really does clearly and distinctly say, "I'm my heritage is 1964." Absolutely, and and they've done exactly the same with the nose. Yes, it's got all its modern halogen or whatever lights and slimline this and slimline that, but it mm. still has that slightly droopy mouth, you know, drooping at the corners a little bit, a bit of aggression in the grill, huge nose. You know, it's long, it's it's super mm. rugged and tough, and oh, I'm going to eat you. And and it has a little bonnet scoop that reverses back up in towards the windscreen, and you know they've. they've got it right they, they really have i mean i'm not being uh, a ford apologist here they have got it right mm. is, is it a perfect car in every way oh god no 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 it's look let, let's go back to that 1964 and a half mustang because that's what it was yes. um it was basically uh, a way for ford to say look at us we're tough by building a cheap car based on the old falcon platform with falcon engines apart from the original v8 engine um, and, and, and that's what it was. I mean, let, let's not kid ourselves. It was essentially a spin-off from a, a, a cooking model family car, um, and it had some rough edges. Come forward to 19, uh, sorry, 20, 2016 or 2015 when it was released in the States, whatever, um, it's still a little rough around the edges, doesn't owe anything to Falcon anymore. It's built on a unique platform. It's got you know, lovely independent suspension at the front and lovely independent suspension at the rear. But, yeah, look, it's still a little bit rough around the edges, a little bit howdy-doody, a um, couple of panel gaps that you wouldn't really forgive on a Japanese car, but, you know, you let the Mustang get away with it, that sort of thing. The dashboard is, you know, the instrument panel is a little bit sort of bland, but... It's functional. It's it's almost functional in a Japanese way in that you, you know how it's going to work and after a while you can put a finger out and touch a switch and know you've touched the right one, that sort of thing. So the, the, the drama of the exterior doesn't quite carry over to most of the interior, but it works quite nicely.
Brent, yes, it's good to talk to you, mate, and lovely to have you back again this year. I'm sure we will catch up on many occasions. Thank David, you, David. I'm time. sure we will, and as always, it's great fun. It's, it's my pleasure. That's Brent Davidson, our good colleague here on Overdrive, talking about the new Ford Mustang that's now been released in Australia. A longer interview with Brent on the Mustang can be heard on our website or podcast where we discuss the low price of the vehicle. Models start at $45,000 plus on road, say about 50000 to get it on the road for such an iconic car. Although the base model is a four-cylinder, albeit a turbocharged engine that goes pretty well. Go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. When the third generation Kia Sportage arrived in 2010, it helped make an important statement about Kia. It reinforced the view that Kia was not just about cheap cars, but could compete in terms of good design and quality manufacturing. As medium-sized SUVs go, it was practical, quite good-looking, but not necessarily a standout over its competitors. In 2015, it was the seventh best-selling vehicle in the lower-priced medium SUV segment, but it might soon lose a place with the very significant sales of the other Korean in this class, the Hyundai Tucson, which was released in August last year. Kia Australia has just released the fourth-generation model of the Sportage. The three models span the price range from about 29,000 plus on roads and going up to 46,000 for the top of the range platinum all-wheel drive diesel. Alan Zervis and I went to the launch and he joins me on the line to talk about the vehicle. Alan, among everything else, this car drives particularly well. How are you, Dave? Yes, it does. It's, uh, it drives like a like a any other car. I mean, it's uh, it feels good on the road. It feels steady. Um, I don't think Kia is just about cheap cars anymore. Mm, yeah, it certainly has done that, hasn't it? Although I have, I have got to say, one of our colleagues, uh, Rob uh, Fraser, uh, made the point that perhaps the middle uh, class of vehicle, the SLI uh, model in this uh, Sportage range, might drive the best because well, when you go to the top of the range ones, you go to 19-inch wheels with about, what is it, 50 profile tyres. Mm. Uh, low profile tyres are really coming into their own but gee you put them onto an SUV and perhaps you're really trying to mix things up just a little bit too much. Well David I think he has a point uh, it's there's no doubt that the lower the profile tyres the rougher the ride and all I would say is that very few of these uh, SUVs will ever see any off-road action and uh, most of our roads are okay. I personally found them okay. Even when we went on a little bit of the graded dirt road, it certainly wasn't bad. No, and I think I remember commenting to you at the time that uh, considering we were on low-profile tyres for part of the trip, the ride seemed very, very good even for low-profile tyres. Mm, the looks of it a little bit more aggressive, a higher lights, a headlights, a bigger bulge on the nose, distinctive? 
Very distinctive. I think it, they've been very clever by keeping the general atmosphere, the general look of the previous model, just as they did with Optima, but all of the metal works new. So what they've done is made it a little bit bigger all around and uh, kept the look that everybody seemed to like. Yeah, I, I think it it's, it looks rather stylish. The back, it's hard to make them look new, I think, but they've got some lights down on the bumper bars uh, on the you know either side of the rear bumper bar. So, uh, and it's got a bit of a sloping back roof to it, so it doesn't look like the box shape. Well, look, dare I say there's very little you can do with two boxes stuck together. Hmm. But I think they've gone for the sloping roof that reminds me very slightly of a Range Rover Evoque. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, it's got a bit of that. The, uh, the Evoque is um, very standout in that regard. You either like it or you don't. I think this is a bit more general in its looks, but still something that is not quite so boxy, as you say, you know, as we say, and and uh, are, are capable of doing that. Inside, uh, good, uh, good room, uh, comfortable car. It's got uh, a little more space in it than the previous model. The quality of the uh, upholstery, to me, feels a lot better. And the quality of the dash, the plastics and so forth, is now the same uh, as the Optima. So they've they really upped the game with this generation of Kias. Alan Service, mar- marvellous to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, David. Thanks very much. And there it was, Alan Zervis. We were talking about the Kia Sportage medium-sized SUV. And there's a longer interview with Alan about the Kia Sportage, including a discussion of some of its competitors and where it fits into the market, how well it does, and the fact that perhaps quality doesn't seem to be enough to get sales. There are some classic examples of that as well. For a longer interview or to get to the podcast, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. For the first time this year, we have uh, our two friends, Brian Smith and Errol Smith. G'day, gentlemen. G'day, David. G'day, David. To talk about some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And let's start with the first motor show of the year, the Detroit Motor Show. Now, it's held at the very beginning of January. It's absolutely freezing there. The last time I went there, it was under zero degrees. It was certainly not the thing you went for a walk at night. Now, it has things from a Merc that steers itself to a potentially a new Holden sports car. There were lots uh, to like and one of the world's most influential car events, they claim. But I do point out, gentlemen, that the CES, the trade show for consumer technology, probably produced more stories about cars than this actual motor show did. <laughs> maybe, they're, uh, maybe they're doing something wrong, David. The Detroit News, the, the heart and soul of the newspaper world in Detroit made a point that they picked their top 10 and it didn't include the Turbo S Porsche 911. It said that car has 5 zillion horsepower and goes 205 miles an hour. Ho-hum, so what's new? Gentlemen, do you think we're maturing with our cars, that we're no longer just the, I've got more horsepower than you, I might have a broader view? David, I think if you watch any car ads, no. 
it's still incredibly <laughs> the same speed feelings nonsense that uh, has been going on. I, I look at this thing and I wonder, you know, where's the revolution? This, the, the world is changing in incredibly rapid ways. And yet, um, look, if, if evolution was as slow as the car industry's response to things, look, we'd all still be crawling in the mud, I think, uh, on the edge of the uh, ocean. Well, one of the things is that they're trying to make ordinary cars look sexy. Now, you take the Chrysler Pacifica. Now, this is a what we would call a people mover, what the Americans might call a minivan. Now, Chrysler invented the minivan many years ago, 40 years ago, in fact. Now they're redefining it. They claim it is slick and good-looking. It has more tools inside than a Swiss army knife. Versatility, including a console drawer for your iPads. It's funny, David. I've been waiting for the car industry to start making more practical vehicles. This one, strangely, has a vacuum cleaner. I'm not sure what the uh, what an integrated vacuum cleaner has to do in a car, but... But, uh, you know, this practicality of things where, you know, everyone's got a mobile phone and they need somewhere to put it so it's safe or it won't slide around. Kids have iPads. People travel and want to entertain their children with screens. You know, the, the, it's, it's, it takes so long for the aftermarket industry to be integrated into, into cars. But at least this car's having a go, having a red-hot go, as they say. But, but uh, look, I, I think most of them are, are still just your run-of-the-mill uh, cars that look increasingly like each other, mm, and often and often they're made from the same base, just sold mm. under different brands. Uh, I, I think the um, the Cadillac Cadillac does have something going for it, and that is it's apparently got thirty way adjustable seats. I was wondering what can there possibly be thirty different ways to adjust? I mean, does it does it massage you while it's making you breakfast? <laughs> I, I don't understand. You've got to get one of those uh, like a. Uh, a consultant to help you set it up just for you i suppose and then if if the kids move it or you we have to put the seat back for some reason then you you might have to call them back in again there's two things will happen here one for me it'll break down because it's technology <laughs> and i have that problem uh two is if you want to adjust it you're going to have to log in give it a, a password and make five push five buttons merely to get it to recline the, the other way, though, it might be for 30 ways is it might be coming more like a business class seat on an airline where, given that we're going to have automatic cars, it might recline to a full bed, stretch out. And then when you wake up in the morning, you can do the vacuuming. <laughs> now, we've talked about utilities. Honda has come out with the Ridge Line, and the thing about it is that it's not based on what Americans call a pickup. It's not based on a truck-like frame which is ways of making solid cars. It looks like a bit more of what they might call a unibody, a monocoque uh, arrangement to it. Is the next push to really try and make utilities feel like an ordinary sedan? I don't understand this one, David, because they, they've made a point that it's not based on a, on a pickup frame, you know, typical H frame or whatever, um, but they've gone out of their way to make it as truck-like as possible. That's right. So why did you bother? <laughs> well, look, I think it's just reinventing something that's already there, which is the crew cab ute. I guess there's, it's not intended to carry a big load, though, is it? It's really for a, a contrived vehicle for people who want to look like they've got sort of a, a truck-like ute, but it's really just a sedan with a, a kind of an open back. It's even got a boot underneath the tray. Well, the nice thing about that is you might be able to store things safely in there. Can you lock the boot? 
Yeah, I believe so. I, I believe it's uh, under the bed of the pickup. I had just given back a Hilux. Errol, you had a bit of a drive of it, the Toyota. The thing is that if you leave your computer in the car, everyone can see it. There's actually no concealed area. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. There's no nowhere in the in the vehicle to put anything, you know, hidden except like well, the glove box. It's fantastic because it combines the um, poor utility for a family vehicle of utilities with um, inadequate truck-like carrying characteristics. So it's not going to do mm. either thing very well, is it? It's the worst of, worst of both worlds, is that yes. what you're saying, Brian? Yes. Brian, you're saying it crosses all the boxes. Yeah. Instead of t- <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Instead of ticking them, that's right. Or puts a question mark in there. Not applicable. None of the above. Now, there has been a couple of uh, sporty cars there, and I think they're moving away from the Ferrari wedge shape or the McLaren or even the Lamborghini wedge shape into the more uh, sort of rounded sort of shape of it. I refer to the Lexus LC500 Coupe and the Infiniti Q60 Coupe. When you look at them, they're a little bit more like an Audi TT, but a bit bigger in that sort of rounded sports car shape, particularly the back of it, which is really getting not the back of a wedge, but more the old fastback sort of look. Mm. Yeah. Do you like them? Yeah, look, I, I think they are showing a sort of Maserati influence for mine. They're, they're all moving towards this sort of low, purposeful-looking quasi-four-door car because uh, they're not – yeah, I think you're right. They're not, uh, they're not trying to look um, like a super sports car. Do you think it's an influence of Tesla? I mean, Tesla, when they dropped their first car onto the market, it was very much in the sort of Maserati mould of a, a large sedan-style car that's low and wide. I think that's the point. I think that's uh, put them all on notice as to the, the looks and, and features of the car. I, I still think the grill on the, the Lexus, you know, looks like a whale's mouth. Um, Gentlemen, as always, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you for coming back again this year. I do appreciate it. And next week, we're going to talk about what we're actually looking forward to in 2016 rather or what we'd like to see rather than what necessarily will happen. Again, gentlemen, thanks for your time. Thank you, David. Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news about motoring and transport. And the boys are in top form again this year. If you would like to hear more stories of the unusual type to do with motoring and transport, go to our website where for this week you'll hear about a new Monaro, possibly, but it's built in America. There is such thing as bad publicity, and perhaps we have some new anti-car theft measures which involve semi-nudity and alcoholic behaviour. Go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au where you can get, as I say, a longer interview but also a link to the podcast of these stories. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson, Alan Zervis and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>